0: Good morning and welcome back to Rising. I am very happy to be back with you all this Tuesday morning. We, of course, have another fantastic show for you today. Robbie, what is on tap?
1: Well, welcome back, Brianna. Today we'll discuss the real reason that airlines are canceling flights constantly. It's very annoying if you've been trying to travel. And then we'll discuss the feud between Nancy Pelosi and new GOP Representative Myra Flores. Also, Trita Parsi will weigh in on why he thinks President Biden is doomed in the Middle East. But first, uh, this is a terrible story. Forty-six migrants were found dead in a semi-truck outside of San Antonio. Twelve adults and four children additionally have been hospitalized for heat-related injuries. Now, sources say it's a suspected human trafficking, human smuggling event. San Antonio's police chief gave details on what they found in the truck. Let's watch that.
2: The patients that we saw were hot to the touch. They were suffering uh, from heat stroke, heat exhaustion, uh, no signs of water in the vehicle. It was a refrigerated tractor trailer, but there was no uh, visible working AC unit on that rig. We're not supposed to open up a truck and see stacks of bodies in there. Um, None of us come to work imagining that.
0: The San Antonio police chief then spoke to reporters with updates on the investigation.
2: We have three people in custody. We don't know if they are absolutely connected to this or not. Um, This investigation has been turned over to HSI. It is now a federal investigation, turned it over to them about probably two hours ago.
0: San Antonio Mayor Ron Nirenberg called the incident a horrific human tragedy. As Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas tweeted that he is heartbroken by the loss of life, adding that far too many lives have been lost on this dangerous journey. Mm, that's uh, Terrible. Yeah, incidents like this, I mean, they do foreground the lengths that people will go to to try to find a better life. And I know that Any incident like this is probably going to be broken down on an ideological basis. People will say it's a very bad loss of life, but at the end of the day, people shouldn't break the law. Other people will say, you know, put the onus and focus more on the human traffickers and their negligence here. But I do think it's worth thinking about the fact that we do live in a global community where situations are so constrained and people's lives are so um, uh, inadequate, in large part because of the role of our own global hegemony that people do feel like these kinds of risks are will are risks they're willing to take in order to find better lives for themselves and it's a tragedy like this really does underscore i think the level of inequality in the world at least from a left perspective
1: yeah it's uh i mean it's just terrible uh, the conditions for you know people coming here uh for crossing the border coming here illegally are just are really bad and people are dying all the time and i mean the, you know this this agent talked about imagine opening up a truck and finding uh, new stacks of bodies of people who had died miserably from heat exhaustion. It's just horrible. Um, it, it's a, it is a policy failure. Um, it you know it's something it, it, the desperation these people. Must feel to think that gambling with their lives this way is is their best option rather than remain in uh, wherever they're coming from. I think some of them were coming from Guatemala. Uh, is is uh, It's 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 really telling uh, about the the lengths people, the desperation people feel to come to this country uh, in search of a better life. And uh, you know, obviously, there's more to talk about on the policy side of it texas governor greg abbott so he went straight for biden slamming the president over his deadly open border policies the administration is reportedly taking steps to disrupt human smuggling networks amid the heavy migration at the border secretary mayorkas told cnn that the operation deploys hundreds of personnel throughout latin america and includes the fbi and doj to attack smuggling organizations Uh, so obviously it's not we do not have an open border policy
0: yeah help me understand the logic of that that if there's an open border people need to be smuggled across the border in such extreme conditions
1: right it doesn't make sense at all I, look i immigration is an issue where I, i'm probably most out of step with where the right is today mm-hmm. among basically all issues because i i do want to have more liberal immigration uh policies just like you know the gop of yes, 15 year. years ago yeah. um and, and I would I would say to conservatives, you know, there's a lot of um, a, a lot of uh, conservatives don't often. Rightly, in my view, recognize that you can have a government policy, but that doesn't mean it's going to work. That doesn't mean it's fall. Follow- I talk about that a lot with guns. Well, you can say you want you know, when I'm criticizing uh, progressive positions on it. You know, you can say you want guns broadly criminalized, but here's how that's going to fail to confront crime. The reality is the reality is X, Y and Z. Mm. I think it's very similar on immigration is what I would say to the right. You know, you can say. You want to just you know keep everyone out and have harsh immigration policies well no matter how harsh they are people get around them people will go to extreme lengths to get around them because it's human nature to want to come to this country because it's better life so if you don't want that to happen uh and i don't think we do i don't think anyone wants even if you don't have sympathy for them sympathy for our own agents having to open you know caravans cars of fine dead bodies we clearly need a more sane immigration policy, so that it's easier for people to come here legally without resorting to this option.
0: Yeah, we just do. Yeah, I mean, it's why, reality. Why do you think that has been such a weird sticking point, a more recently developed sticking point for conservatives? To what do you attribute that shift from kind of eighties, nineties level conservatism, which? was kind of happy to have migrant workers because Mm -hmm. of the economic utility of having a low wage workforce. And it used to be liberals who said, no, this will undermine the social safety net, social programs have competition for working class Americans. And as the defenders of working class Americans tended to be more anti-immigration, to what you attribute that flip? And do you think in this kind of maybe post Trump era, we might have a resetting to a
1: norm? I don't know if we're going to have any kind of resetting, and I kind of doubt it. I, I think that, yeah, I think it's uh, partly an economic argument—the concern that immigrants are taking um, jobs from, uh, you know, from from legacy Americans. Use that kind of <laughs> phrase. And then, no matter how many times that idea is debunked by economists, it's still, you know, very popular among uh, some people. And then also, there was—I think probably the more—but that all that always existed to some degree. I think. You know, in the post-kind of Obama um, cheering about how there's going to be this permanent progressive majority based on on minority voters, uh, I think that that scared a lot of people on the right, saying, oh, the more of these kinds of people we bring into this country, we're not we're going to lose power. We're, we our you know our cultural tradition is going to be eroded. All that kind of stuff." Now, all of that stuff turned out to be very wrong, as yeah. we're realizing now, because. Uh, immigrants minorities uh, etc are very open to vo- to voting and supporting for yeah. Republicans and conservatives a
0: slight liberal bias disappears after i think one or two generations right realistic? so
1: that was just a, that is not, that is, has not panned out it strategically and that should be good news for the right they can they can do outreach to uh, to hispanic communities especially and 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 they 're kind of you know pro uh pro respect for religion and tradition and and anti socialism that kind of agenda is very popular with a lot of the people coming here yeah. so it just it, it was it was actually bad political advice that they sold themselves and i think it's going to take a little bit of time for that to Trickle out of the system.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Ironically, maybe the the solution to the immigration fight is to start passing out
1: MAGA hats to the border, and maybe Republicans will be receptive to, to immigrants. <laughs> and probably, forward. and probably a lot of them would put them on. They'd say, yes, <laughs> yes, we love Trump. We're here. It's it, it, it would totally change what uh, what some people on the right's view of of immigrants is. Yeah, but well, it, it's true. It's
0: free free policy advice for any takers. <laughs> I look forward to hearing what's uh, on your radar next, Robbie. Okay, Robbie. what's on your radar today?
1: All right. Well, while we continue, obviously, to talk uh, quite a bit about the fallout from the Dobbs decision and the end of Roe v. Wade, I wanted to call additional attention to another Supreme Court case uh, that we just briefly touched on yesterday at the end of the show as the decision was released. Now, that case is Kennedy versus Bremerton School District, and it concerned prayer in public schools. The case involved a man named Joseph Kennedy, who, by the way, is not closely related to the former Supreme Court justice, former senator, former attorney general, or former president, just a popular name, uh, who worked as a coach at a school in Washington State. Now, Kennedy is a Christian who was in the habit of praying on the 50-yard line uh, during and after football games. He didn't make anyone else pray with him, though teammates were welcome to do so. Eventually, the school fired him, worried that his religious displays were violating the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment, which prohibits public institutions from seeming to endorse a particular religion and force it on the people. But in a 6-3 decision, the court's conservative majority, Roberts, Thomas, Alito, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and Barrett, held that Kennedy had not done anything wrong. He was free to practice his religion, so long as he wasn't coercing anyone else into going along with it. Quote, respect for religious expressions is indispensable to life in a free and diverse republic, wrote Gorsuch in the majority opinion. Here, a government entity sought to punish an individual for engaging in a personal religious observance based on a mistaken view that it has a duty to suppress religious observances even as it allows comparable secular speech. The Constitution neither mandates nor tolerates that kind of discrimination. Mr. Kennedy is entitled to summary judgment on his religious exercise and free speech claims. Justice Alito concurred with Justice Gorsuch, writing, quote, The expression at issue in this case is unlike that in any of our prior cases involving the free speech rights of public employees. Petitioner's expression occurred... While at work, but during a time when a brief lull in his duties apparently gave him a few free moments to engage in private activities. When he engaged in this expression, he acted in a purely private capacity. The court does not decide what standard applies to such expression under the free speech clause, but holds only that retaliation for this expression cannot be justified based on any of the standards discussed. On that understanding, I join the opinion in full. Justice Sotomayor dissented, writing this. Properly understood, this case is not about the limits on an individual's ability to engage in private prayer at work. This case is about whether a school district is required to allow one of its employees to incorporate a public communicative display of the employee's personal religious beliefs into a school event, where that display is recognizable as dissenting part of a long-standing practice of the employee ministering religion to students as the public watched. A school district is not required to permit such conduct. In fact, the Establishment Clause prohibits it from doing so. So the disagreement between the justices, then, is about a couple things. The extent to which Kennedy's decision to pray was disruptive. Also, the liberal justices tend to take the view where any religious display is akin to establishing religion, which violates the First Amendment. Conservatives don't treat religious speech fundamentally differently from non-religious speech. Indeed, to do so, in their view, would be showing a special hostility to religious speech, which is a kind of viewpoint violation that, in their view, is not permitted by the First Amendment. Now, reasonable people can obviously disagree on this ruling. All of our SCOTUS justices are, in fact, very smart individuals with very compelling arguments for why their view of the law is correct. But I mainly wanted to highlight this because I was actually struck ...by the reaction to the decision on social media, where I saw countless liberal Democratic commentators completely misunderstanding what would be the conservative arguments in this case. First, there was David Frum, a writer for The Atlantic. Frum said that SCOTUS cleared the way to chants of Allahu Akbar before sporting events. My reaction was, so what? Fine, go ahead. That's free speech. Muslim coaches and athletes deserve it as well. From was hardly alone, though. The phrase Muslim or Jewish was trending on Twitter yesterday because so many people were asking, well, what if the coach had engaged in non Christian prayer? What would you think then? Checkmate conservative. But we know the answer to this because the court just settled it. Religious belief would be protected. That's what the decision is about, and that's what conservatives want. They will gladly allow more establishment of Islam and Judaism. That is what the point is, allowance for religious observance. And yet it was this kind of thing over and over and over again. Do Democrats just not understand the first thing about conservatives anymore? Like, we're not in the immediate post-9-11 aftermath where, you're right, there was a lot of anti-Muslim kind of bigotry in just kind of all circles, but also in conservative circles. That's over. Time and time again, I see Democrats proposing purported gotcha scenarios, ostensibly to trick Republicans, when the thing they are proposing are things Republicans support. If you followed social media over the past few days, you probably saw lots of sentiments from Democrats uh, relating to the abortion decision that were along the lines of, well, if we're going to criminalize abortion, are we going to criminalize men not providing financially for the babies these women are being forced to have? But many Republicans and virtually all social conservatives would be fine doing just that. So there's a popular meme going around that captures this tendency really well. It's the your terms are acceptable meme. The standard issue liberal thinks he can trick the conservative by saying, well, if we're banning X, why don't we also ban Y? But the liberal doesn't realize that many, many conservatives want to ban X and Y. There's a real information asymmetry to the two ideological camps right now. It often seems to me, and and let me say, by the way, I'm somewhat at least impartial here, given that I agree with both sides on some things and disagree on others, that conservatives seem to me to understand liberal beliefs fairly well, while Democrats don't know the first thing about what the modern right believes. They're still kind of stuck in what, like, the right believed 15 years ago, as we were kind of discussing in my, in the, uh, in our opening um, discussion. So I know you disagree on this court case, and look, I, I understand the other argument for it. Um, I, you know, the more research I was doing, it's clear he was – I think he was straddling the line between too much um, religious display and in that, you know, they were having, like, the team kind of all on the 50-yard line. He was saying no one was coerced into doing it. Sotomar was then kind of arguing that, well, but what if they feel left out because everybody's well, and doing and it? A
0: student, in fact, said that they felt coerced into doing it. One of the players on the team, the reason this became an issue is because they disclosed to their parents or another school official, I forget which, that they felt as though if they didn't go to the center of the field and kneel and pray with the, the coach after games, as said, become a tradition. That it would be socially ostracized. No, that he wouldn't get as much playing time. He felt like his career on the football team was hanging in the balance based on whether or not he was perceived as supportive of the coach's own religious beliefs. Now, certainly you can see how that would be frustrating. So I, I will agree with you. I think that some of the responses to this – have the effect of, frankly, being denigrating to these other religions. When you say, what about Al-Akbar, you're not only misunderstanding where I think conservatives are right now, you are are kind of catering to the most uncharitable view of how people look at other religions and presuming the worst about how they're perceived in the public light in a way that I think is kind of denigrating. So I, I didn't love those responses either. At the same time... It, it seems quite clear to me, and it's clear from previous Supreme Court precedent, that private prayer has always been allowed. I think the precedent was Lee, School public officials, whatever their religious background, whatever their beliefs are, have always been able to pray privately. That's not what this was. And I think what a lot of liberals were most frustrated about, and the key thrust of disagreement with this case that I saw, was that the majority had really misrepresented the facts of the case and really characterized the coach as having engaged in private prayer that was then being sanctioned by the state, au contraire. He was literally going to the middle of the football field of the 50-yard line after games That's the 50-yard line, right? That's the middle. (laughs) (laughs)
1: And kneeling, sorry. We're not the sports experts in the (laughs) room, yes. The 50-yard line is the middle, yes. That I can confidently (laughs) assert. Sorry, I
0: I played basketball. Um, And kneeling with students. And if you, at this point, have students saying that they feel like that's coercive, and even more so, that it's going to jeopardize their standing on the football team. Imagine if a teacher engaged in prayer at the beginning of the classroom sure you can tell your your kid oh you don't have to do that we believe something different in our household but a young impressionable impressionable mind you can easily see how they might start to feel like i want miss smith to like me i want mr smith to like me i i I want to ingratiate myself to them the rest of the class is standing and doing something especially we live in a when we live in a country with such an enormous religious majority I do think it's important to be, take seriously how coercive it can feel to people who aren't already a part of that majority.
1: I think based on my releidi- uh, my, my reading, my reading <laughs> of the, uh, the, the Alito concurrence, I don't think the prayer in, in, before class begins would be allowed, because I think he would say that was actually on the job, whereas the, after the game—
0: Private private prayer has always been allowed in schools. Like that's not right. the, not that's not the issue. And there have been cases about whether or well, not. Well, the teacher the does it the, versus
1: the student, I think is a little different. Too. I
0: th- my understanding is that the line is whether or not it's private or public. Mm-hmm. So again, like I think everyone wants to uh, respect religious beliefs, but you you talk about you know the First Amendment. The establishment clause is part of the first amendment and the reason we're treating religious speech differently is because the constitution says religious speech should be treated differently than other kinds of speech especially because of the danger of establishing one religion over all others people fled to america and and founded murdered the Native Americans and then founded this country because they were fleeing religious persecution of exactly this kind in England. And Protestants felt like, you know, Catholic people wanted to feel as though they could practice whatever they were going to practice without feeling like the state had preference over one or the other. I think that's a really core bedrock American ideal. I think it's a wonderful thing about this country. And it's very confusing to me that I think conservatives who used to want to stand up for those kinds of rights and who wanted to look to the founding fathers, many of whom were atheist or agnostic, uh, and really were fearful of the negative influence potentially of the church, the Pope, and the role that it played in Europe were are very clear to put as the number one First Amendment. Right. Do not do this. Do not repeat. Well, some
1: of that this was day. anti-Catholic bigotry. Bring
0: that sure, I mean, I saw, <laughs> I saw. I saw. I <laughs> saw someone uh, a joking. Plot. <laughs> someone joking on the internet that if you asked the founding fathers what they would think about these decisions, they would say, "Oh, there's there six Catholics on the court." <laughs> <laughs> so we don't want that either, obviously. Yeah. But the, the fact of the matter is, you don't have to worry so much about anti-Catholic bigotry or anti anybody bigotry if you are consistently but it neutral. They'd also
1: said, "Where's the authority?" We didn't have any. Th- Put any authority in the Constitution for for there to be a federal Department of Education? They would also say we that.
0: also don't have any authority in the in the Constitution about the proliferation of bullets. Bullets hadn't been invented at the time of the Constitution, which is why I would argue originalism is bunk. And we are thinking, feeling people with a lot of information in our brains that didn't exist two hundred years ago, and we should plot our ar- own. The argument own path on, on
1: the right, the difference between uh, conservative and liberal view on this is is the yes, the state cannot establish an official religion. Or seem to favor one religion over another, or
0: fund but, religion,
1: but or it's fun, a taxes issue. Right, it's that he's a public employee. Right. Well, well, right, but on, other, on the job, public employees have other, other speech rights, other rights to engage in free speech sure, in general. Privately. And what the conservative view would be that, as they're doing that, religion being one of those views they can have speeches they advocate is not we do not think conservatives don't think that should be treated differently the religion part is just about stopping the government from requiring a certain kind of religion religion and just like a public employee would be free to hold any number of uh, uh, political views or make any uh, certain kinds of public spread and then i mean it gets tricky in schools there's all sorts of yeah, confusing should, should the coach right kneel the, in the
0: middle of the court i mean I, say, I thought the button- vote
1: democrat well,
0: we're, we're a Democratic football team. Come meal with me and talk about how much the Republicans suck. You would be concerned about that sort of a thing as well. I mean, you, you cannot ignore the fact that this is. Probably this they'd is be allowed
1: to do that, right?
0: In private.
1: Yeah, well, private. probably on the 50-yard line based on this decision. <laughs>
0: no, this, you know, I don't think that this is a, a hard case. Um, and it's frustrating that it came out the way it did okay. because there was there was precedent that already allowed him to do what he claims he wanted to do. The, the question is whether or not. You know how far down this road, and how many people are going to actually have to wake up and realize that their religious beliefs are being threatened before they realize we've given um,
1: I mean, I, I the, disagreed, the uh, government too much power. With here. the, I mean, it's, there have been a lot of cases that have limited K through 12 students' free speech rights. Um, the bong hits for Jesus case. You remember that? No. That one. Um, I. <laughs> it's literally called the bong hits for Jesus case. Uh, some student was was uh, yeah like had that sign up. It's just like a nonsense sign at, a, I, I think it was, it was some kind of athletic event. And the, the, the sign said, bong hits for Jesus. And uh, the student was disciplined or told they couldn't do that. And went to the Supreme Court and, and the, the kid lost. Uh, this was like a famous free speech case from, I think, the aughts. Uh, and I so the, the kid's argument
0: it. was that it was a religious sign? It was that it was just religious- First Amendment
1: protected speech. Uh, and, and the court said, well, it was like advocacy of, dr- of illegal drug activity. But it, because it said "bong hits for Jesus," and I thought it was. So I, I would not. I don't want to restrict kids, the uh, the actual cla- uh, uh, students' free speech rights at all. Yeah, there that, has been way. That too does seem like a different of,
0: case because it's not a government thing establishment. Thing. It's not an establishment yeah. clause case if we're not talking about. Right,
3: but it should be federal tax dollars that,
0: going to this. Yeah. But anyway, interesting great. stuff. Interesting stuff, and we'll have more for you <laughs> after this.
1: At least 800 flights were canceled Monday afternoon, according to the flight tracking website FlightAware. This comes after more than 1,500 domestic flights were canceled Saturday and Sunday alone. So what gives? Staffing and pilot shortages are behind some of the cancellations, and airline workers are reaching their limits. Hundreds of Southwest pilots stood in solidarity at a Dallas airport recently to protest being overworked and understaffed. Wow, that is a difficult graphic to watch, (laughs) making us dizzy. We're sorry Uh, (laughs) that was uh, triggering for any of our (laughs) our
4: audience.
0: we'll, We'll give a warning going forward. Well, More Perfect Union broke down the corporate greed behind the staff disruptions. Here's what they had to say.
4: During the pandemic, airlines secured one of the biggest public bailouts of any industry. $54 $54 billion. The catch? They couldn't lay off their workers, but they found a loophole.
5: Delta will soon offer employees buyouts and early retirement opportunities.
4: October
1: 1, furlough day for 30,000 workers at United and American Airlines.
4: Instead of layoffs, airlines used furloughs and early retirements to push out pilots and crew. By fall of 2021, they'd shrunk their workforce by 56,000 people. Airlines scheduled their flights 11 months in advance. They know they don't have the pilots to service these flights, so now passengers are paying the price. Airlines are essentially committing fraud, scheduling and selling thousands of flights they know they can't service.
0: They also called on Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who oversees the FAA, to address these issues more aggressively than this.
4: Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who oversees the FAA, has done little to address these issues or the cancellations crisis. After advocates raised concerns, Buttigieg decided to meet privately with airline CEOs and politely told them to do better.
2: I let them know that, uh, you know, this is a moment when we were really counting on them to deliver reliably for the traveling public.
4: The very next day, his own flight was canceled.
0: Yeah, so a lot of folks <laughs> predicted this sort of thing when the bailout happened, because corporations always tend to be able to get around the kind of um, in- disincentives to laying off staff that are built into a lot of these bills, and lo and behold. By the way, pilot pay was already extremely low. I don't remember if you, I don't know if you remember when Sully landed his plane on the Hudson all mm-hmm. those years ago.
1: Those the birds? He
0: was, he was supposed to be a hero, but then he ended up having to testify in front of Congress about pilot wages because its own wages were down something like 40% um, over the past few years. So many pilots find themselves moonlighting with their already difficult schedules, taking second jobs, tired, which is not what you want for people in the sky because they're paid so little money and this does really just feel like uh, chickens coming home to roost.
1: Yeah, there's nothing worse than industry-specific bailouts. Right. Uh, they're so prone to uh, to corporate, uh, corporatism, to kind of, uh, you know, favoritism, well-connected people mm. getting getting paid off. You know, if, again, I, 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 ideologically, I, I want to be very, you know, careful about who gets money from the government anyway. But, uh, you know, if we're going to give out money, if we're going to help the people the struggling people or sectors of the economy yet yeah, doing it for industry by industry is just the worst way to do it and the, the airline industry is has been greedy has been the, this experience of flying has just gotten miserable over the last 20 years it has gotten markedly worse it, it, one of the things that has gotten worse of all you know common human experiences uh, now part of that is the government all of the tsa safetyism post 9/11 it's all pointless we should end it tomorrow um, it-
0: is, is there a relationship between TSA and things like uh, extra bag fees, not getting any checked baggage, um, the difficulty with rebooking flights when they get canceled, these kinds of delays, less leg room, not getting food on flights that used to get you know be of a length that you would get food? Is there any relationship between that stuff, or well, is it just general corporate?
1: Squeeze? I think it is some. Some of it is related because you just you have to get to the airport so much earlier than you used to, it's less efficient. It's you have to spend more time waiting around the airport. Uh, so, so you know Because you have to go through TSA, you have to go through security. So you might not find out your flight's actually going to get canceled or moved or changed or delayed until you're already waiting around. Yes. When you used to be able to see, if you live close to the airport, you can see, OK, my flight's on time. I can go now and just get on my plane.
0: Yeah, I recently had an experience where I got the text saying, your flight's going to be delayed 30 minutes. So I was like, great. I took an extra beat on my way yeah. to the airport. As I approached the airport, I got a new text saying, JK, it's back to the original time.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. You can't do that.
0: <laughs> so I went. I like ran through. I was still kind of early yeah. enough to make it if they just went ahead and let me through. But they wouldn't let me check the bag, which was required because yep. this is the world we live in now. And what they said was, you know, they gave me a bunch of reasons. But when I got through the gate, what had happened is that there had been an earlier flight to the same city that had been canceled. And oh. then they filled up. My, I think they gave away my seat immediately because they had to deal with all of these people from the cancellation. So they were trying to kind of put it on me, but the reality was that they had these backlogs and they're trying to fit people in where they can. All of the staff are getting berated. People are treating them very poorly because they're frustrated, it's not an excuse. It's just a terrible situation for everybody involved, which is why I would argue Instead of doing these kinds of corporate bailouts, if the bailout is approximating the entire value of the industry, the government should go ahead and nationalize it. I
1: know you love that idea, but then they're <laughs> going to make us do even more stupid, pointless stuff in order to board Why the plane. Why do you plane. say that? Because that's what they've done. They- there would be more TSA stuff, Why right? Why do you say that? Well, I don't know. The TSA is a government agency. It's right. all.
0: But they're already exerting their will to that extent. The, 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 yeah. the, the benefits of nationalizing something is that no longer is it the profit motive that's driving these kind of decisions. So to the extent that your comfort has been. Um,
1: well, we'd have to wear masks on the plane for the rest on... of our lives. I mean, this is no, the, the mandate. and I have to be against <laughs> the, it.
0: The, OK.
1: The airline, the airline, actually, the airline CEOs, right, we're fighting against that kind of stuff. Yeah,
0: and it's true. And there are some people who attribute some degree of the cancellations and the staffing shortages that they've been publicizing to the fact that, for whatever reason, COVID is still running through the ranks of these, these employees, and it's, and it's causing delays as well. But regardless of whether, whatever your stance is on masking, the idea is that, it, to the extent that they were able to squeeze out pennies on a dollar per seat by squeezing extra ones in, luggage fees, all those kinds of things,
1: my understanding is that actually Jimmy Carter deregulated largely the airline industry in the in the 1970s and that that has was is perceived to have been a good thing that there was not that it, it made uh, air airline travel much cheaper and much more available to the average person
0: well maybe this is a good a good thing for us to do some follow-up radars okay. on some of our best our best where it comes from us having one of these conversations at the end of a, of a discussion. Whatever point. it takes to
1: not have me go the whole take. Now you don't even know because this is true at the at DCA, the Reagan National Airport, that one of the lines where your luggage goes through, you're supposed to leave your laptop in your backpack because it's got a special scanner or something. Hmm. The one right next to it. Which you never know which one you're getting, you're getting, unless you you can I guess memorize what they look like. <laughs> they look pretty similar. And I fly a lot. That one you're you got to take everything out, and you get barked at by the TSA like you're some idiot flying the first time <laughs> if you don't know. Like I'm taking my backpack out, like no sir, how dare you? What, you want the plane to crash? It's just it's just well, look, it's not it's they're not unfriendly. They're
0: I've always said this. I don't know why people who run for president don't go for some easy targets. Nobody likes the TSA. Let people keep their shoes on just like they do in mm-hmm. the rest of the world. No one likes. Cable monopolies go after Comcast. I mean, there are these yeah. huge targets that, that consumers are really that. feeling under the thumb of.
1: Yeah, actually, this is a totally different subject. I don't know why the cable companies don't attract more of this kind of anti-big tech zealous uh, rhetoric that's now coming out of both parties. I mean, say, say what you want about, about Facebook or or Google or Amazon, but these these companies are are not nearly as horrible to deal with for the people who use them as Comcast and Verizon and uh, AT&T, right? right?
0: A Facebook rep has never made me cry. I cannot (laughs) say the same for Comcast.
1: If you have a problem with Amazon as as a customer, they usually fix it like immediately. They just send you the thing again immediately. If you have a problem with with Verizon files, which is what I have, and I've had Comcast in the past, (laughs) Buckle in, Buckaroo. You're gonna be be on the phone for a while. You just like change your name because they'll say you already have an account and you're you're
0: Yeah, that's right. Well,
1: all right. We 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 have a lot of uh, uh, bipartisan populist rage, clearly, about uh, how we've been treated in the past. Yeah, this this is the ticket. This is the
4: path forward.
1: All right. More rising after this. Newly minted GOP representative Myra Flores has accused House Speaker Nancy Pelosi of, quote, pushing her daughter during a photo opportunity after her swearing-in ceremony last week. And you can see it there. Flores tweeted, quote, I am so proud of my strong, beautiful daughter for not allowing this to faze her. She continued to smile and pose for the picture like a queen. No child should be pushed to the side for a photo op, period. Democrats in Congress are reportedly faulting national leadership for the party's less-than-desirable performance among Latino voters, including those in Flores' district. Representatives Jesus Garcia and Jimmy Gomez said the Democratic Party doesn't pay attention to Hispanic voters until the closing months of an election year.
0: Mm. More than one million voters across 43 states have switched party affiliations to become Republicans over the last year, according to the Washington Examiner. Polling shows that President Biden and his party are hemorrhaging favorability across all racial demographics, a bad sign for Democrats who've in the past relied heavily on voters of color. Joining us now to weigh in is Teslin Figaro. She's the host of Straight Shot, No Chaser podcast. Welcome to the the show.
5: Thank you for having me. It's always good to see you.
0: All right, Teslin, you are one who really does illustrate with respect to what the Democratic Party is doing wrong with voters of color. You know, what do you think is going on here?
5: Well, what's going on is what uh, I and you and many others uh, have been talking about over the last several years, me particularly, have been talking about it since 2010 uh, when I left the Democrat Party. Uh, But now folks are uh, a little more vocal because obviously the slap in the face of Roe v. Wade Uh, has left folks who have continued to make excuses for the Democrat Party pretty much at a loss. Uh, There is no way to get around this when you look at what's happening uh, with the the post-pandemic, with economics. There's no way getting around this when we talk about Build Back Better being completely ignored. There's no way to get around uh, the fact that Joe Biden has not used all of the power uh, to make sure that they codify Roe versus Wade. And again, let's be reminded that this actually started with President Obama before uh, Trump was in office. So now, you know, folks are getting louder and louder. I have always, as you know, uh, been a big proponent of black voters pushing the line, demanding more uh, because they do hold 90 percent of the Democrat Party. But now you're also seeing Hispanic voters get even louder. You're seeing Latin- uh, Asian voters get even louder. And I encourage that, Bree, because for so long, uh, when I would talk about uh, black voters and the important the importance of uh, asking for more. Folks would think that that was anti, and it was not. It was actually pro uh, African-American community to demand more. So I encourage every community uh, to speak up uh, loud and clear and to not be afraid to say, no, my community wants more. That is what this is all about. Everyone is supposed to scream as loud as you possibly can uh, and to to ensure that these leaders uh, take care of each individual community, because there there are individual issues Uh, that we all deal with uh, collectively as a group that is not the same.
0: And people were very upset with people like Ice Cube for saying in the lead up to the general election that black people deserve something for their vote. Joe Biden responded to some criticism around his response to the Black Lives Matters protest by saying, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. And yet here we are, and it does seem like some of the folks who pointed out that it's not that there is a, I think, a preference for Latino voters among the Democratic Party, as some black people describe. When some black people say, oh, the Democratic Party is more responsive to Latino voters or Asian voters, oh, you get a a stop Asian hate bill before you have a George Floyd bill. I think what they're really perceiving is that when you have an electorate that is more willing to vote for a different party to take their vote and go elsewhere if their needs aren't met, the party is going to be more responsive to them. And when, to your point, the Democratic Party has 90% of Black people in an in a unshakable grip, there is very little incentive for uh, Democrats to actually listen to what bl- the Black community is asking for, to the extent that we <laughs> articulate specific demands. Um, but new uh, NBC reporting fleshes out how voters Democrats need the most are also getting hit the hardest by inflation. Polling from last month shows 79 percent of people who describe themselves as poor or working class said they were falling behind financially. One pollster told NBC News, quote, particularly for voters that are critical to Democrats doing well in November, younger voters, African-Americans, Hispanics. These are voters who are feeling more pain than other voters and they are looking for real solutions. Are they going to get any Tesla?
5: Well, I mean, if we continue to push, they have no choice. You and I talked about this before, and I'm so glad uh, that you brought this up to talk about you know, why people are leaving. Yes, and I, I say this to my progressive friends all the time because I am independent. Yes, uh, raising the minimum wage is important. Yes, job security is important. But it's also important, Brie, to talk about, like I always talk about, small businesses. We're not talking mm-hmm. about the ultra wealthy. We're not talking about the rich, but we're talking about also businesses. And Democrats have failed time and time again, and progressives, by the way, to talk about, When we look at post-pandemic, 28% there was a 28% increase in Black business alone. There was a 19% increase increase in Latino businesses. There was a 5% increase uh, in the Asian American community just on small business. Because after the pandemic, folks were sitting around saying, "What do I do? I no longer have a job. So let me be creative and start a boutique. Let me be creative and do what it is that I've always wanted to do." Uh, We can even see with the Beyonce, the recent Beyonce song Hmm. on last week, telling folks to quit their job. You know. (laughs) (laughs) go after what it is that that inspires them so until we start actually talking about uh you know how to take care of small businesses besides just the ppp loan and how can these businesses flourish you're going to see more folks uh move out of this party i believe that more folks will continue to be independent like myself not going to the republican party because i don't think that that is the option but there's a mix of folks one voters who are just leaving out of spite uh, as a way to say hey win me back second the voters who were republicans all along those who voted for obama then switched back to trump and then possibly back to biden and then now they're going back to trump and you know and then those who are just saying you know i want to try another option so these polls you know we really don't know how they're made up uh, of who is who, and we'll see in November. But one thing for sure is the answer is not just, oh, let's just get out and vote. You know, I, There was an article just posted of me today saying that that is a slap in the face. It is disingenuous, uh, it is disrespectful. Uh, and basically I said that, you know, Joe Biden is pulling a Will Smith uh, on voters by saying <laughs> that, hey, all you need to do is just go vote. And yes, that does change things on the state level, but it is, will not change anything on the federal level if he is not willing to what I say, what I call, push the line. And as another note, because of voter suppression in various states, because of gerrymandering, no matter how many people go to the polls, states like Texas, for example, or possibly even Georgia as a whole, as a whole, what happens to those Democrat voters? So to tell them, oh, just vote, what happens, Bree, when nothing changes on the state level for those in- uh, people? So what should everybody do, just move to California? That mm-hmm. won't work because California gas is... Almost seven dollars a gallon. So Democrats have to figure this out and they should have figured it out a long time ago. I'm seeing a lot of blaming online. Oh, well, was you progressives. Oh, well, it was Trump. The bottom line is President, Ob- uh, Bi- uh, President Biden is in charge right now. And so what will he do right now in this moment?
1: Republicans are delivering right now for their base, uh, I, I think, in a way that they haven't in a long time, if ever. Uh, social conservatives just got a, a huge win, right? This is what they have wanted for uh, half a century. Um, Republicans are pushing back on some of the wo- the wokeness uh, in, in schools, corporations, et cetera, that is very animating to the base. Republicans are right now giving their voters what they want. Uh, are, are Democrats are not doing that? And are they going to, you know, are, are people going to be excited to go out there and, and support Democrats if they're not giving them what they want?
5: Republicans have always uh, delivered for their base. And I have been saying that forever. And folks said, oh, you're pro-Trump, or you're praising Trump. No, I'm simply pointing out to you that they have always delivered for their base. Unfortunately, it's not aligned with the things that is important to me and those in my community. Unfortunately, it's been fascism. Unfortunately, it's been a lot of race baiting, unfortunately. But the bottom line is, they have always delivered for their base. And I tell people this, Democrats are the only one that says, oh, you know, he's the president for everybody. No. President Trump was the president for his base. Believe it or not, America, this, this gimmick of, oh, everybody represents everybody. No, it's never been that way. Uh, you've been bamboozled, hoodwinked, led astray. If you believe that, it has always been about who delivers for their base. Democrats are the only one that says, oh, you know, we have to continue to do for everybody. Meanwhile, Republicans have always been the minority in this country, but somehow they have taken over state houses. They have always had the majority of state houses on the on the state level and they continue to push the line on the federal level, and they don't give a damn, excuse my French, they don't give a damn what you think about it, what you tweet about it, how much you cry about it, how often you sing and be flat, off-key, like the Democrats were doing on the Capitol steps. They're going to continue <laughs> to do what it is to what I call push the line, which is politics until something happens, and I don't blame them, and I'm jealous of it, to be quite honest. I wish we had the same type of gangsters on the Democrat <laughs> Party because then possibly I would consider joining back, but until then, I'll just be an dependent
0: in the middle. Well, thank you so much, Tesla. I really appreciate your perspective.
5: No problem.
0: And we will have more rising for you right after this.
1: Hillary Clinton had some interesting words to describe Associate Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas in an interview with Gail King. She said this.
4: Justice Thomas has sort of floated that out there about contraceptive rights, contraception, and about same-sex marriages. But other
5: justices have pushed back to say, no, he's really sort of on his own with that.
4: Don't believe that? Well, he may be on his own, but he's signaling, as he often did. You know, people, I went to law school with him. Mm -hmm. He's been a, a person of grievance for as long as I've known him. Resentment, grievance, anger. And he has signaled uh, in the past to lower courts, to state legislatures, to find cases, pass laws, get them up. I may not win the first, the second, or the third time, but we're going to keep at it. So you're saying people pay attention to Yes. Yeah, the people he is speaking to, which are the you know right wing, very conservative judges and justices and state legislatures. And the thing that uh, is, well, there's so many things about it that are deeply distressing, but women are going to die, Gail. Women will die. Yeah, I, I cannot wait to blow
0: up people that I went to law school with when they're on the Supreme Court and say...
1: Resentment. They Grievance.
0: never got salad at the cafeteria. <laughs> <laughs> not sure how long they're going to last on the bench. <laughs> no, but look, I mean, part of the problem here... That was is not that a...
1: I, I didn't think that was a classy way to describe his... Uh, Look, his opposition to he does not think that the Constitution mandates or the Constitution prohibits um, state legislatures from weighing in on these issues. That's not to say contraception should be banned or gay marriage should be banned or even abortion should be banned. He just thinks the Constitution doesn't take those issues out of the states. That's you may disagree with that. That is not formed because of anger or resentment. But to be clear, Robbie,
0: when you say it doesn't mean that contraception should be banned, same-sex marriage should be banned. The reason that the Supreme Court ever weighed in on those issues because is because contraceptive s- contraceptions were in fact banned, right. gay sex was in fact banned, gay marriage was in fact right. banned. Right, he's,
1: say, he's saying it is permissible for state legislatures to ban those things, not necessarily that it's advisable, right? but that they can. Except, Just like the government can ban a bunch of other things. Except
0: here, here's the issue. Clarence Thomas's uh, politics are not Obscure. Although I do think it's right to point to the fact that he and many other justices did, I think, lie pretty outright about what their, um, you know, how much they would d- rely on settled precedent, including Roe v. Wade, in order to get them to the Supreme Court. They were asked repeatedly by Democratic lawmakers about whether or not they respected Roe v. Wade as precedent. And everybody who's on that bench right now, everyone who was confirmed by the, the Democrats in the Senate, said that they did now
1: they, they kind of evasively danced around it in the non-committal way that people usually participate no, they in they said it is, it's, pre- yeah, sure, it's, time. It's, it's
0: not they don't say i love roe v wade but All they right. say it's settled precedent and i don't expect it will be an issue it's settled precedent and settled precedent that will
1: that we've had settled precedents that were bad that get overturned so it's, right so but they, just, didn't say they didn't say that
0: they didn't say that they didn't say it's settled precedent but i think it deserves another look which would have been an honest perspective for you know, five or six of the judges. This is what has happened. So, you know, I think it's. I think the actually saying that Clarence Thomas is a. a, a what do you say? A, a, a man of grievance is anger, a pretty resentment, grievance. <laughs> a pretty nice way of going about it, and think. and here's why. At the Hillary end of the Clinton day, is a
1: figure of anger, resentment, and grievance. hundred
0: and ten percent. But you know, <laughs> two wrongs don't make a right. Yale produces a lot. of Yale law produces a lot of people that I don't particularly. Uh, tell, us, like, tell us about it.
1: <laughs> No, you're, you're Harvard Law, not Yale Law, right?
0: Correct. Yes. A, a better, better class. No, I'm just kidding. Like, it's, oh, yeah. it's all a mess. Oh. And then part of the problem is that everybody is in the one big club and you're not a part of it. But the issue here is that Clarence Thomas seemed to open the door to the specific rights being overturned. Conveniently, he- those privacy rights that have been found in the Constitution by previous courts, all except the one that most implicates him in his own personal life—same-sex marriage—and yeah, uh, people have said that this is is not. You an mean uh,
1: say you mean uh, sorry interracial, uh, interracial marriage? marriage.
0: Yes. Yeah, <laughs> let me be Virginia.
1: Right. He, uh, he, a he, me. he, talked about this a lot yesterday. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and and it, it's difficult to make heads or tail of that without saying that this is a man who again is married. To someone who has come under the microscope recently because of her involvement in One Six, she has been a very openly partisan and political figure. Clarence Thomas and the other conservative justices have been very open about the relationship with the Federalist Society and how they have a very specific political agenda. So the idea that we are just now talking about the court being politicized and oh my goodness, you know, are people pushing their own religious beliefs and all these kinds of things? FedSoc has was founded. Forty years ago, now, with this express purpose of getting of returning to returning
1: these political of, questions to democratic accountability in the form of state legislation right. and the national Congress,
0: and we have a constitution because we believe as a country that right. some rights are inalienable. There are people who wanted to return the right to own slaves to the states. And that's why we had a civil war, a civil war that was not constitutional. Dred Scott was a constitutional decision that, you know, a, a Supreme Court decision right. that Lincoln said, "Eh, never mind, we're not doing that. And we fought a war about it. And so eventually, we needed a
1: new rule written into the Constitution to cover it. Because it, unfortunately, right. was. But right, we, we wanted to take that away from what Democratic people decide. So we have the rule written there, so no one can confuse it. Right
0: after we fought the bloodiest war in American history. Right. So the 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 question is this: We have all of these um, undemocratic bulwarks against actually changing our Constitution. It's very difficult to do, and it's even more difficult to do over time. Realistically speaking, we are at loggerheads because we are have these judges who are insisting that not just what the Founding Father said, not just constitutional intent is being reviewed, but 16th century jurisprudence is being looked at in the, the context The way to decision. not have
1: bloody, miserable century. conflict over these kinds of questions is to let people once again decide and decide different things. But, but Rodney, for their, for their state or for their community probably you have and, to, and, and and accept that I'm not going to always like what they're going to decide we, and you no, no, no. else
0: we have to reckon with this central point I, I it is of course true that not everything that I personally believe is a constitu- should be a constitutional right, a basic human right and protection as an American citizen, is literally written in the Constitution. That is why so much stuff has been read into the Constitution, including expansive gun rights that are nowhere in the Second Amendment. I'm sorry. The, the Constitution uh, oh, sorry. is much oh, louder on gun rights minute, than it's on Robbie. privacy. Wait a minute, Robbie. Let me, let, me just, let me just finish this. There were literally no bullets at the time of the founding. We have written in, a re- read into a well-regulated militia a oh, Wide why panoply of rights? And I'm not even arguing against that right now in this moment. Mm-hmm. I'm drawing the contrast. If you are willing to read into the right to have an AK-47 and to basically sit up on your roof looking through your scope, gunning down your neighbors as a right to defend yourself and all of the stuff that we have today, fine. But as a, as a moral measure, as a society, we have to be having a conversation about whether or not we think it should be up to, and you're a libertarian, mm-hmm. random legislators across the country to infringe upon the relationship with the, between a woman and her doctor and whether or not that's an inviolable Human rights. Should a woman who has an ectopic pre- pregnancy, who realizes a baby isn't viable at the end of her pregnancy, as just happened to a woman in one of these states that, of the trigger I,
1: law, I looked into that. Yet. Have to die. Those are should
0: rape and incest. The, ec- the ectopic people are, people are in, in
1: all of the abortion laws being going into our that is exempted. Well, there was there was at least one instance where a woman's
0: doctor consulted for nine hours with a lawyer before he would operate on her because of the ambiguity sure. that this ruling has has created putting her life at jeopardy. So besides what's in the constitution, I wish conservatives be willing to have a different kinds of question. Do you think it should be a human right for women should be able to make those kind of independent medical decisions? And if so, why are you fighting the fact that many wise justices just a few decades ago read that right into the Constitution because it's consistent with the privacy rights that they saw in the Fourteenth Amendment and elsewhere in the Constitution Look, I would take the a deal I would take a deal for a universal
1: it def- devolves to the individual. Uh, it's your choice for all of the for contraception, ab- abortion, gun rights, whether you get vaccinated, whether you have to do any of the uh, co- all of it. Yes. Fine, but it's not. It, there would have to be. A, I, I would support a rule that said that, but that's so, not the so way here, it is. The here, way here, it is now is that certain things. There's a couple. of free speech, Second Amendment, a couple yeah. other things. A couple other things I, I wish should be enforced differently on search and Caesar, that kind of stuff. But yeah. we have this. Well, list we don't of have specific those rights, rights. anymore. We have these specific rights, and then other contentious political stuff is up for debate and but, discussion among mm-hmm. among state officials, some federal officials, etc. in it, the democratic process. I don't it, love that because there are things that are going to be infringed upon that I wish were not infringed upon, but that's just the system. That it's for all those things not explicitly here, spelled here's out. Here's
0: what I'm getting at though. And when conservatives say, "Let the states decide." They say that like it's a neutral morally not non-morally implicated statement okay you can say that that's obviously true but it's akin to saying well sometimes if you're poor and your parents can't feed you the kids die you know people just have to really recognize what? that this is not it is not a neutral statement to say we're going to throw things to the states there are very throwing issues to the states has since the beginning of this country been a way to get around what many people believe should be the De- basic fundamental human rights based Protections. It has been that way since slavery. And I don't mean this as a gotcha. I know that some conservatives feel like everyone's always trying okay, to. Okay, well to then, then we have to, gotcha. let's
1: have a tiny, let's have a small, ineffectual government that cannot, does not, and cannot infringe on people's rights whatsoever because it has virtually no powers uh, given to it. That, that's what they, we had at the start, and that's what I'd be fine having again. But progressives don't want that because they want a powerful federal government to do all sorts no. of stuff, I, and I, then I you to, get, and then you to get to violation stop. of categories of people's rights, no, and you get I, What I want us to, do is for to it. stop
0: playing these games as a community and stop trying to score points and win over each other and say, you know what? We live in a society. We live in a country. I respect the rights of my fellow Americans. I never have and never will advocate for anybody to lose their Second Amendment rights. Mm -hmm. Never have, never will. But that same Respect isn't shown for other rights that have been con- found by the Supreme Court, that we said we used to respect, that have been found by the Supreme Court as existing in the Constitution. And until people are very serious about making it easier to have constitutional conventions and actually amend the Constitution, saying things should just be thrown to the states without reckoning seriously with the moral implications of saying that certain kinds of rights are up to a coin flip, uh, and th- there should be no protection for the rights of people who have been historically marginalized and targeted by the state, I think should be the concern F- for anybody who considers themselves a Then I want it all
1: gone. You can, you can hold the government that we've shrunk down, dr- you know, small enough to drown in the bathtub. We can hold it down together, and then we can have all the rights that we, uh, that we might want, and th- that's got to be the deal, or else it's going to be decided by, through the democratic process.
0: Well, I'm sure this isn't a conversation that's going anywhere anytime soon. I'm
1: sure we'll have it again. <laughs> and maybe we will, tomorrow, maybe next week.
0: And we will also be having more rising for you after this. MSNBC opinion columnist Trita Parsi makes a case that Biden is walking in Trump's footsteps with the Middle East and will repeat his failure. Parsi says that while the headlines are characterizing Joe Biden's July trip to Saudi Arabia as a plan to focus on making a deal to push down gas prices, he has actually planned to offer the dictators in Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, where all but two of the 9-11 terrorists came from, a defense pact that commits American lives to defend their regimes. Joining us now to discuss is professor at Georgetown University and author of Losing an Enemy, Trita Parsi. Welcome back to the show.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, help us understand exactly what it is that Biden is doing wrong here and what he should, in your view, be doing differently.
3: Look, I'm all in favor of diplomacy. I think it was in many ways a mistake to not talk to the Saudis directly earlier on and make it such a, uh, a prestige thing, because now the president's going to have to walk that back. So diplomacy is separate from this. What's wrong with what is happening right now is that the president is going there, hat in hand, begging for lower oil prices that the Saudis and the Emiratis are not going to be able to deliver. I'm sure you all saw what President Macron told Biden about his own conversations with the Saudis and the Emiratis. And on top of that, he is trying to expand the Abrams Accord uh, and get more countries to recognize Israel as an alternative way of organizing the region. The problem with that is that that is an arrangement that on the one hand does absolutely nothing bring about peace between Israelis and Palestinians. In fact, the Abrams Accord was not even designed to do that. It was designed to go, I quote, go beyond the Palestinian issue, meaning that you essentially just sweep it under the rug. While well, on the other hand, ensuring and cement that the conflict between Saudi Arabia and Iran and the Arab states in Iran remains in place because that conflict needs to remain in place in order to be able to build this peace what is a green normalization agreement between the Israelis and the Saudis. This is actually a continuation of what the United States has been doing in the region for some time. Instead of actually seeking a true peace, which is not organized against any country, we are here helping cement fault lines and facts in the region that will ensure that there will be more conflict and bloodshed.
1: As you uh, mentioned just a minute ago, yes, at this week's G7 summit, French President Emmanuel Macron interrupted Joe Biden to express doubts, actually, that Saudi Arabia could increase its oil capacity. Uh, we're going to play a little of that.
6: Sorry return to the I, uh, I
2: with your advice, I take the commission to call uh, So, I call Michael, for, for increasing the production. of uh what's I got him and told me two things. One, I'm at the maximum, maximum what he claimed. and this is my commitment. Second, he told me, according to us, that the Saudis can increase a little bit, but 150 or a little bit more, and they, they don't have huge capacities at this stage, before six months time. The nice last one. The very, the very last point is about what we do on the Russian oil market. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. We got to keep talking.
1: <laughs> so Macron laid it out for our president uh, there. Uh, I guess the question is, you know, why, why, why are we so flat-footed here? Why did we not, why do we not understand that this is not like a magic solution to our problems?
3: I think to a certain extent because this has not been the focus of the president to begin with. It's not been about the price. It's about this uh, arrangement of getting more countries to recognize Israel, uh, sell more weapons, uh, and what has now been requested by the Saudis and the Emiratis, which is written security guarantees with more American troops on their soil. And this is completely contrary to what Biden said that he would do. He said that he would turn. The uh, Saudi Arabians to pariah, that he would put pressure on them to end the war in Yemen, that he would bring troops home from the Middle East. If this arrangement goes forward, at least as it is envisioned by the Saudis and the Emiratis, we're going to see higher troop levels, American troop levels in the region than we did before. And that is, in my view, a continuation of what Trump did, in the sense that he's the one who initiated the, the, uh, the Abrams Accord and sold more weapons to the Saudis and the Emiratis than anyone in the past. Uh, And it will reap the same disastrous results as we saw during this period, including the fact that Trump, of course, walked out of the nuclear deal. And if the Biden administration, after a year and a half, still hasn't gone back in it, and ultimately does not go back in in it and chooses to pursue maximum pressure sanctions on Iran, we will get the same result as we did before. In fact, this is the self-fulfilling prophecy type of equality of all of this. From the Israeli and Saudi perspective, They were strongly opposed to the JCPOA. And I think it's quite clear now why that was the case. It's not about whether the deal was weak and it had, you know, uh, elements of restrictions that were expiring after 15 years instead of after 30 years. It's about the fact that that deal would enable the United States slowly but surely get American servicemen and women home from the Middle East. No longer this massive American military presence in the region. The opposite of that is what we're seeing right now. The Abrams Accord, more troop levels in the region, more security packs, more American security obligations to defend other countries, and in this case, countries that actually had a finger in the 9-11 attacks.
0: So why do you think it is that Biden is pursuing this path that, to your point, was pursued by Trump unsuccessfully. And how much uh, is his lack of success here with negotiating with oil prices in Saudi Arabia a consequence of those earlier statements where he said Saudi Arabia was going to be a pariah, um, critical being critical of Saudi Arabia over the murder of Jamal Khashoggi? You know, is it, is it the fact that Joe Biden kind of bluffed and now is being, his bluff is being called on, or are these other kind of geopolitical factors more at play here?
3: No, I think he did uh, genuinely want to put pressure on the Saudis, but he gave up extremely quickly. Mm. They didn't really need to do much to call the bluff. The bluff almost called itself. Because at Mm. the end of the day, there are other options. Uh, As Macron said, the Saudis and the Emiratis actually cannot push out that much more oil onto the market. Guess two countries that can, Venezuela and Iran. Mm. Iran has more than 5 million barrels just sitting there that it cannot sell because of U.S. sanctions. If we truly wanted to push down the oil prices and we're willing to pay a political domestic price at home because there will be a lot of criticism, obviously, if the United States starts uh, lifting sanctions on Venezuela and Iran. But nevertheless, if we're actually seeking to push down oil prices to help the American consumer, the American middle class, whose this foreign policy was supposed to be for, there are options that are far less problematic than going and uh, bowing to the Saudi Crown Prince. The reason why we haven't chosen that, it appears to me, it's because the president has calculated that he can sell this to Congress and to the American people as a way of sticking it to Putin and as a way of supporting Israel. And as a result, it will be less politically costly than if he actually goes back into the JCPOA, gets Iranian oil back onto the market, seeks a diplomatic solution with the and get their oil back onto the market, that at least, on, according to the numbers, would do much more in pushing down oil prices than this little uh, trip to Middle East is
1: Yeah, I think bringing down oil prices, if it's done by negotiation with Iran, Venezuela, I think the American people would reward that, not you know, not be upset about uh, the the American people. Right? There's not a there's not appetite for this kind of militaristic. We're going to improve your nation by force sort of posturing that are that the blob that our own regime thinks is its top priority and that, that that's not that's not what the american people care about time and time again they
3: they demonstrate that i think you're absolutely right on that and uh, and i'm happy you raise that because it gives me opportunity to clarify my comment the political price will be paid in washington in congress mm-hmm. it's not going to be paid with the american people
2: mm-hmm. the american
3: people overwhelmingly want diplomatic solutions they don't want more military engagement They certainly don't want to have more American troops in the Middle East. Uh, So the path we're choosing is one that is least costly in Washington, but most costly for the American Mm public. Absolutely. Well,
1: Dr. Parsi, thank you so much for joining us.
3: My pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: And we'll be back with more Rising right after this. CNN's Dana Bash asked Vice President Kamala Harris if she would endorse a carve-out from the filibuster to codify the national right to abortion. And according to senior political analyst at CNN, Ronald Brownstein, Bash said Harris, quote, wouldn't go there. Bash pushed Harris to see whether or not the Biden administration would take a position on bypassing the filibuster, and this is what she had to say.
6: President Biden told my colleague Anderson Cooper he would be okay with eliminating the filibuster to pass voting rights and, quote, maybe more. Would you support eliminating the filibuster in order to pass
7: federal legislation for abortion rights? Right now, given the current composition of the Senate, the votes aren't there. But would and you so use that's the bully what, pulpit to but, say, yes, I support it? Well, here's the thing. I, I understand what the, why you're asking the question. Mm-hmm. But the reality of it is we don't even get to really answer that in terms of whether it happens or not if we don't have the numbers in the Senate. And again that's why i keep coming back to the importance of an election that is only 130 odd days away because it really does matter i sit as the as the vice president there for the president of the senate i was in the senate for four years representing the state of california and if you don't have the votes you can't move anything. We've seen countless examples, sadly, of that. This Senate in the current composition would not pass voting rights legislation. Right. I sat in the chair when the Women's Health Act was on the floor for a vote and we didn't have the votes to get it passed on the issue of Roe of, of reproductive health care. So the numbers are not there the and, and we there, can't de-emphasize the significance of but
6: that. As the Vice President, as the President of yeah. the Senate, do you have a position on I know you don't have a vote on it, but do you have a position on whether the filibuster should be eliminated? I think
7: us? the president has spoken on that issue and well, he said and more. He kind of left the door open. Is this where he was leaving the door open to? I think that he has been clear about where we stand on on this issue of reproductive health and what the president and our administration have within our toolkit to do.
1: <laughs> I love when they keep saying, I think we've been clear. And and, and Dana Vance keeps saying, no, you've not been clear. You obviously Why don't been. you be clear now? I think we've been clear. I don't think so. It,
0: it's, so it's so
1: disrespectful. It was not clear.
0: It, it was not clear. And moreover, you know, if you, if you want to say I have to defer to the president, he's the president of the United States, I will defer to him. You know, when he opens that door, I think a lot of people would be encouraged mm-hmm. by it or whatever you have to say. But also, look, the reason people are pushing for this question to be answered is because Democrats have been saying this. For decades, Demi- Democrats have been saying and promising codifying Roe Ro, and trying to induce people to vote for Democrats despite being enormously disappointed by them over and over and over again because they're hanging the sort of Damocles that is women's reproductive rights over their head. And when people saw, now not folks are talking about this, now even you know the most centrist libs are being critical about uh, uh, de- uh, both Barack Obama and Joe Biden because people are now remembering that Barack Obama had a super majority Majority, said on the campaign trail that codifying Roe was going to be a legislative priority of his and then immediately i believe in the first term of his presidency he said actually never mind it is not a priority of mine so to then be trying to like whip votes again i mean actual votes to the polls on this issue, after you've disappointed voters time and time again, seems really disingenuous. People want to know that, at very least, if we get the Senate seats, if we get the votes, are you going to really commit to getting rid of the fil- filibuster? Are you saying to us, we need to get 60 plus Democratic senators? like that
1: is what she was saying. Which is
0: ridiculous because Obama had that and he still wouldn't do it. There was still the excuse. That there, somebody wasn't on well, board. Well, o-
1: Obama spent his supermajority on, right, tweaking the American health care system. That used all the political will up on that project with, you know. You know, Karl Rove, ha-
0: hate to quote Carl Rove, but Carl Rove once said that political capital isn't some finite source. It's not something that needs to be held on to and reserved from a later date. When you have the mandate. When you have it, you use it. You use it. Because
1: it's going to go away. Well, it is potentially it's
0: but i'll tell you what will make it go away when when she says when kamala harris says that joe biden has been clear on his record of supporting uh his record of abortion rights joe biden has been clear and that's why people don't trust him in 1974 joe biden said i don't like the supreme court decision on abortion i don't think that a woman has the sole right to say what should happen to her body in 1982 joe biden voted to allow states to overturn roe v wade in 1988 joe biden repeatedly voted against the inclusion of exceptions of rape and incest okay, but, but and in, the his, Amendment. in
1: his defense he probably doesn't remember that
2: (laughs) and
0: on and on and on you know as early as recently as 2006 he said i do not view abortion as a choice and a right so to to have kamala harris a woman also sit there and tell us that we should have full uh faith and confidence in joe biden when he's made these kinds of statements and also has uh the party as a whole has reneged on its promise to codify Roe. she
1: she could also just say look if her objection to the filibuster to, to getting around the filibuster is. She could just say it. She could say, "Well, yes, I want Roe to be protected, but I'm not willing to make any change to the filibuster because then that's about to be used against then that right. and uh, it's that unconstrains we'll the Republicans first. who sure. are going to take going probably going to be in the majority, and then they will just be at their mercy." She could just say that. She could say and that, and you could then you could disagree with that if you disagree right. with that. But she should just say that's clearly what she is thinking, so she should just say that. Instead, she's like, "Well, I, I think we've been clear that." well, we, we sort of, we would do, but we don't. And Yeah, you know. I think it's
0: even worse than that. I think that they, even if they were able to, let's say, codify Roe, and get the votes to codify Roe, they're still concerned that whatever Republicans did when they were next in power would be so extreme that it wouldn't be worth the squeeze for them to lift the fil- filibuster if it was right. only to right. codify Roe. And so then she would be revealing how much she really thinks Roe is a priority compared to some other things that uh, Republicans may or may not be willing or that, able to exactly do. That's exactly what it is. Yep. That is
1: exactly what it is. Yeah. Yep.
0: Well, when asked about Democratic voters who want to see abortion rights
6: passed, Harris seemed stumped. What do you say to Democratic voters who argue, "Wait a minute, we worked really hard to elect a Democratic president yeah. and vice president, yeah. Democratic-led House, yeah. a Democratic-led
7: Senate. Do it now." But do what now? Uh, what now? I mean, we we need we listen. What we did? We extended the child tax credit for the well, first year. Well, I'm sorry year, when I say do right? what yeah. do it now. Yeah, act uh, legislatively to make abortion rights legal. We feel the same way. Do it now. Congress needs to do it now in terms of permanently putting in place a, a, a clear indication that it is the law of the land that women have the ability and the right to make decisions about their reproductive care and the government does not have the right to make those decisions for a woman.
1: Do it now. But maybe not it, and maybe not now. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of, sort of what she's saying. Precisely, precisely.
0: Like this, this raises the question, again, of whether the White House is saying, She's restoring. such a
1: preposterous figure. She is so bad at this. She is bad at it, right? I mean, that's not. In and it's it
0: it's a no known that she was bad at it going into, it. and it, it is yeah. frustrating that so much rhetoric around her selection was that she was going to be helpful to Joe Biden in these ways, she was going to inspire Black voters. Not that I, I think the the category of people that Kamala Harris, the the Venn diagram uh, of people Kamala Harris inspired, and. In, People wearing RBG face masks is like a circle.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> like, right. It's
0: the same very kind of niche liberal perspective that is kind of devoid of politics. You know, and I saw this. I saw a young this woman. Is the at Re- a,
1: Republicans uh, smear or slur these people as this is the cat lady, oh, well, right? That's
0: <laughs> I, I'm not up to date on my Republican <laughs> smears. So I'll take that. I'll take that out. But it, it feels like when I, I saw some uh, protesters, people who were pro- protesting Roe v Wade ending you know wearing rbg regalia as though it wasn't rbg's hubris and her choice not to step down under obama but to be replaced by the first female president that literally is the but for cause of us being in this situation Mm -hmm. and so i I, it is continuing it continues to be frustrating to me as more and more people who are democrats realize that kamala harris was not suited to this situation and i kind of almost feel bad for her because she was a little bit set up. I mean, who's going to say no to that opportunity when when given to you? But it is frustrating that she isn't being given the support or doesn't have the ability to kind of rise to the occasion now that she's been in this spot for you know a year and a half. Yeah. But you know, one one other thing I will note is that in another interview that there was a transcript for but uh, no video of Kamala Harris was asked about one of the points that AOC has raised, which is whether or not the White House would back opening abortion clinics on federal lands in states where abortion has been banned. And Kamala Harris's response was basically, look, we have an election in 130 days, including in some of those states. And the implication was, the pretty clear implication was, I'm not willing to do anything. I will, I'm will, i going to sacrifice women's access to, to health in these states with my ability to potentially win in these states. And this is what Democrats always do. They create these false choices. They throw the base under the bus in the hopes that their moderation is going to co- cause someone to come, flo- some, some moderate imaginary Romney voter to come flocking to them. And it doesn't work. And all you end up doing is chip, chip, chipping away at your base until, as we talked about in another segment with Tesla and Figaro, they don't exist anymore.
1: And they're not going to have, they might not have Trump to scare those, those handfuls of Romney voters who did come over. To do that again, that's not going to happen again. If it's unless it's Trump again, which right. I think it's not looking so likely. Well,
0: even if it is Trump again, I mean, when you look at the young women, um, I don't understand so that viral interview with the two young women in green in front of the the Supreme Court. Yeah, we Court, played it. We
1: played it yesterday. Yeah. You
0: know, saying I'm not doing this anymore. You sent, I got like seven fundraising emails. Yes, you know, on Friday. That it's so disrespectful with no acknowledgement of your own failure. If Joe Biden took the podium and said, Look. I, I really love and respect President Obama, but we made a mistake. We made a mistake in not making this a priority. We underestimated how much Republicans wanted this and the possibility of this actually ca- happening in our lifetime. We thought this was more settled law. We made a mistake in believing them during the Supreme Court. You can't Court. Even
1: conceive of him saying the no, words you I mean, you can't conceive of any p- a
0: politician really admitting to any failure, but like the, a level of trust and respect I actually sincerely would have for that level of acknowledgement, because the gaslighting is exhausting. And that's what people are responding to. That's what those young women are responding to, that they've been gaslighted for their entire lives, young people like that. And people much older than that feel that same way. And either Democrats have to reckon with that, speak honestly about that, and suggest a pivot the way I will say. I want to give AOC credit for the list her tweet list of real concrete things the Democratic Party could do right now. On the flip side of that, I want to criticize Kamala Harris for taking one of those legitimate points and saying, "Mm, electoralism is more important than a woman's right to choose. That conflict of Democrats hand-wringing and moralizing about how, oh, we believe these are fundamental rights and, oh, we believe in protections of women and minorities and all of this, and then at the same time saying, eh, but what if it hurts us a few points in Wisconsin? That is why they are not Credited and trusted as a party.
1: And, and, and <laughs> mic drop. Yeah. Well, no me. argument there. <laughs> um, yeah, Kamala, yeah. Kamala, Kamala, Kamala. She just she just collapses in these interviews. She just she's not saying anything. That she's not answering. She's not defending. Really, she's just. It's gaslighting, I guess, like it's, you said. It's
0: gaslighting. People aren't going to stand for it anymore. Um, but we will keep talking about it, we'll and we will have it. more rising for you
1: after this. Kim, what's on your radar?
8: Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene and AOC got into a Twitter fight, and I think Marjorie Taylor Greene won. Now, Twitter fights don't typically matter. The place is like high school with clicks, bullies, and idiotic comments. But the substance of their battle matters, so I want to talk about it today. It highlights liberal hypocrisy and calling out Republicans for all the same things they do themselves. It showcases a growing anti-establishment sentiment rising in the Republican Party. And it makes glaringly obvious the failures of progressive like AOC to challenge the establishment as they promised they would, here's what went down. After the SCOTUS decision on Roe v. Wade was released last Friday, AOC joined a protest outside the Supreme Court where she shouted down the court's ruling as illegitimate. (laughs) (laughs) Illegitimate! streets! So Marjorie Taylor Greene took notice and even claimed that AOC launched an insurrection. And she said this in a tweet. Now, I want to be clear. I don't think AOC has launched an insurrection. I think she's protesting. And like what happens at many protests, the speaker tries to rile people up and often says things like, we need to fight and even tells protesters where to go for the protest. Sometimes protests get out of hand and turn into riots. It happens. But the organizers shouldn't be held accountable. And I think we learned this lesson from the Chicago 7, or at least we should have. And I doubt Marjorie Taylor Greene really believes AOC is inciting an insurrection, but her point is clear. AOC has been very vocal about going after Republican lawmakers who called for or helped organize any protests of the election results. Even though there has been no evidence of any sort of organized effort to overthrow the government, and and that instead it really does look more like a protest that got way out of control, like the many we saw during the summer of 2020, Democratic leaders continue to insist on calling what happened January 6th an insurrection. And AOC has been particularly vocal about it, and she blames Marjorie Taylor Greene, as well as others, for vocally questioning the legitimacy of the election. Yet here she is questioning the legitimacy of the court ruling, and she even goes further. Watch this.
2: Something he's gonna be resolved in a day, or in an election, or in a year. Because we gotta strap in, this is a generational fight. This is not instant gratification. But you know what, a lot of these institutions were built on a a, a very quick foundation that, we need to, to back stronger than what it was before. Right now, elections are
3: not enough. You know, I'm not going
2: well, to be here and tell you to drop out. because We can show up everywhere. We can stand in every damn year. We can stand, stand in every damn year. But elections alone,
8: So there she was saying elections are not enough, that they, quote, need sand in every damn gear, alluding to causing a disruption somehow. She said we need to show up, yeah, at the ballot box, but that's a bare minimum. So what does she mean by that? Had there been violence during these protests, would she been held accountable? If there are threats aimed at justices, which I'm sure there are, is AOC to blame? Did she just get lucky that this pro-choice protest didn't turn into a riot? Now, AOC, of course, didn't let what Major- Marjorie Taylor Greene said slide. She clapped back with this tweet. I will explain this to you slowly. Exercising our right to protest is not obstruction of Congress nor an attempt to overturn democracy. If one were a if one were heinous enough person to do that, they'd likely seek a pardon for it, too. But only one of us here has done that, and it ain't me. So AOC is referring to reports that allegedly a handful of lawmakers, including Marjorie Taylor Greene, went to the White House seeking a preemptive pardon. But the lawmakers in question deny the claims. And even if they did, can you blame them? I mean, after the Mueller investigation, one would naturally worry that political opponents would become targets, and I think they have. But AOC is right in that protesting is not obstruction. And her claim that the Supreme Court ruling is illegitimate isn't an attempt to undermine or thwart our democracy. People should be able to claim whatever they want. It's a free country, or at least it's supposed to be. Though Marjorie Taylor Greene hasn't ever responded to the accusations of seeking a pardon, she just couldn't let this dig by AOC go, so she tweeted this back. How about you explain slowly why you won't support a pardon for Julian Assange and Edward Snowden? Then continue to explain why you are a shill for the MIC funding war in Ukraine, or are you too busy organizing baby-killing riots? Now, if it weren't for that last line about organizing baby-killing riots, I would have sworn a progressive wrote that tweet. But this came from a Republican. A Republican is calling for pardons for Julian Assange and Edward Snowden. A Republican is calling out the military industrial complex and it was only Republicans, 57 of them, who voted no to sending billions to Ukraine. What's going on here? Republicans are increasingly showcasing an anti-establishment flare and it's why their party is gaining in popularity. It's becoming more and more the party of the working class. Now it's definitely not there yet, but the metamorphosis seems to be happening. Now, of course, you could claim that they don't mean it. It's just a show for votes. But then you'd have to say the same thing about progressives. After all, these were the principles anti-establishment progressives like AOC claimed to uphold. They said they'd go to Washington, challenge the establishment and make change. Yet all they did was fall in line. And there's a voting record to prove it. When you compare AOC's voting record to Nancy Pelosi's, she only disagrees with the mother hen 4% of the time. Now compare that to Marjorie Taylor Greene disagreeing 34% 34% of the time, with establishment Republican old guard Liz Cheney. So, Brianna, Robbie, I'm going to ask you guys, what is happening here with this? Brianna, I'm, I'm particularly interested in your take on this. Uh, that last tweet about Edward Snowden and Julian Assange directed at AOC and the military-industrial complex, I mean, what? <laughs> that was a Republican. That's Marjorie Taylor Greene of all Republicans. What's going on?
0: Yeah, well, what's happened is that the left in this instance, as they have in several other instances related to um, military interventionism, has have allowed some right-wing figures to get to their left. Uh, the, the left has been pushing AOC on this exact issue. I would argue the real populist uh, movement in America has been pushing AOC on this issue since uh, she first made comments about this around the Force the Vote movement last January. Uh, she was mm. interviewed uh, at the Intercept um, about force the vote and some other factions that were happening on the left and was also asked about her kind of silence on Julian Assange. She gave what I thought was not a great answer to Jeremy Scahill, uh, where she kind of said, well, I'm not really sure about that when he kind of equivocated. He didn't press her on it. And a lot of us on the left were really frustrated that it seemed as though you know, journalists who like her uh, were kind of not really pressing her in these interviews to get her on the record in a way that I frankly think would have helped her in a moment like this if she had been forced to reckon with her kind of either ignorance about the issue or whatever reason she has to not want to support pardons for both of those men. However, I think we also have to be clear about the fact that there are two wrongs don't make a right. I don't see any good good actors in this situation. When you have Marjorie Taylor Greene acting like a protest for women's reproductive rights in a tiny little pinned in gated area surrounded by cops in front of the Supreme Court, a sniper stand on the top of the building aimed down at the protesters as it all commensurate with the, you know, what, hundreds of people who broke into the Capitol, put their feet up on Nancy Pelosi's death and write it in a way that resulted in uh, the, the death of a protester and of At least one police officer isn't that right and all of the information that's come out over the past couple of weeks uh, of how so many trump insiders knew the election wasn't stolen communicated the election wasn't stolen and yet that kind of rhetoric continued to percolate so I think it can be the case that AOC is wrong on Assange uh, and Snowden, and also that she is right of the rest of what she said. And I do think that she's right that we have to gum up the gears just the way the Republicans have done and able to, uh, and the way that they've done to uh, to enable this outcome. They have been fighting on every flank. They have been in town halls and local city governments working outside of the uh, electoral system through uh, organizations like fed- the Federalist Society, training judges up, indoctrinating them in a certain particular kind of legal education to get the result we're living with today. And that's all AOC is calling for. And I think it's a little disingenuous to pretend that doing that work, which is completely legal and democratic, is somehow nefarious when the other side has been so kind of blatantly uh, extra legal and
8: uh, nefarious. Well, I mean, she did call the ruling illegitimate. I mean, the Supreme Court is one of the three main branches of government. It's just as important as the well, other two, for specific two, so...
0: reasons. Uh, the reasons are, I mean, some people are arguing that the 2000 election was illegitimate, but even if you don't put that in the pile, that the justices you could, lied. Something you
1: can't say something. we literally the 2020 election, not illegitimate. We no, have to, to, to the make 2000 them... election. Oh, some right. people
6: feel
0: well,
1: it's that like that George election, Bush. I'm not sure we're allowed to say that either. Even though it was uh, this is not right. some not great stuff. But I, don't, I don't
0: think that ASC right. is even making that case. What ASC is saying is that these justices who are on the Supreme Court right now lied under oath about their attitude toward Roe being settled precedent. They basically induced reliance on the idea that they said it was precedent it's a settled precedent they've said it a long time ago I don't think it's going to come up I don't think it's going to be an issue in order to get on the court and then completely reneged on their, their standing there's also people who look at you know, the, dip, the obstruction to Barack Obama uh, making uh, an appointment filling in Scalia's seat as creating an illegitimate court right now, and on and on and on. So you know those are the kind of things she's talking about. I don't think that's ambiguous. She's been tweeting about it, giving interviews about it, and been very clear about what she means when she says the court is illegitimate. It's not these kind of half-baked claims that are coming out of someone like Donald Trump, who, at the same time he's saying the, the, the election was illegitimate, was calling around to local electors and states, asking them not to certify election results and the kind of things, again, that we've been learning out of these hearings.
8: Mm. Well, they are asking to impeach the justices. Yeah, uh, which is a Democratic,
0: so, that's something that you're allowed to do. That's,
8: yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, to me, it just, it's all hypocritical. I, I don't see it that way. I mean, I, I view it as hypocritical because I just think it just depends on which side of the aisle you're sitting on. When you feel like, OK, this is legitimate and this is and they're making crazy claims and my claim, though it might be similar, has actual substance to to it. And, you know, I, I just think that that depends on which side of the aisle you're sitting on. I think people on the other side of the aisle feel like their claim is backed by evidence or by sus, you know reasonable suspicion. Uh, and, and so I think it just really depends. But I do think that there is something to it right now when it comes to these people that are being prosecuted for what happened on January 6th. They are using their words. They're using their words. And they're saying your words incited this insurrection. It was because you said, go and do this X, Y, Z thing. Go march there. Go there. Do this thing. And so I don't understand how that isn't the same. When well, the people, people they're like prosecuting say, are the
1: people who actually went into the building. Did right? They're being, they're being. Right. Well, they're not have, being. <laughs> we don't have to call They did a that, riot. They right. did trespassing on federal property. Right. They're, right. Yeah. They're not. Right. Uh, they're not, and I don't think they should, they're not putting Donald Trump but in prison for the things right, he said he was that clear, have to yeah. But that's what they're it.
8: trying to do. But they're trying to do that, Robbie. I mean, we know that they're trying to go after lawmakers. I mean, AOC has been one of the most vocal saying, pointing out Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, and these others saying to them, you know, you were the ones who incited this insurrection. You should have to pay for this somehow. So it's Are not say, just I, the people that trespassed. It's well, the people if that- right, If they're
1: saying that, they're wrong. I, I think it's fine- to say that uh, that I mean I, I agree that Trump in the speech that he gave was too infl- right before it happened was too inflammatory and kind of uh, stoked you know without though he didn't specifically tell them what to do I think it morally contributed to what happened not in any Chris not in a criminal liability sense but right. in a moral sense right uh, and yeah it would be crazy to it would be wrong to you know go uh, go beyond that but I, I'm in the same position as you, Kim, on this one, I think, in that, right, I I, you know, I don't wholly identify myself with either Democrats or with Republicans. I only partly identify myself with some of the things that both of those people think. So I am accustomed, although it is always strange when it happens. I'm accustomed to saying, wow, I, I, I do think Marjorie Taylor Greene is generally kind of Kind of crazy, or, or be- behaves in a performatively <laughs> edgy, right wingy, yeah. crazy way. It's more the performance of what she does, but then, right. right, substantively, on what her views on Ukraine are closer to mine than than virtually everyone in the Democratic Party. And then on the other hand, I you know I appreciate, uh, I think AOC is is a kind of more polished, performative person, but then I substantially agree with you know, virtually all of her views, and on something like the Assange question, where I might have expected more, uh, more. Uh, Consistent principled behavior. I'm not getting it. So it's uh, so then, (laughs) but but it doesn't make me say I should throw in with the crazies. Yeah, or I I applaud people who I think are kind of bad actors in some ways for doing things that are right when they do them. And I and that's something I do on both sides.
0: Yeah, I think you think it's important to not lose miss the forest for the trees. Here, someone being a broken clock, right? twice a day like marjorie taylor green i don't think is at all commensurate with someone who has an actual more world view uh that broadly respects human rights mm-hmm. and basic interests they're
6: the way all that asc yeah, brok- does 10, 10 and i i, I, I mean,
0: do wait i'm yeah. sorry i think it's really important yeah. not to conflate these things and pretend like, well, this side is this side and this side is this side. So it's all equal in the wash. It's not. One side has facts and evidence and substantiation. Oh, to, that's not that true. Come,
8: it absolutely is true. It absolutely <laughs> no, is true. It's I not, do not think Democrats have facts or what, any of this, you know, science can, on their side anymore. Can, They've let it all go. I don't
0: know what science has to do with this particular conversation. The, the, the fact of it is right now, AOC stood in front of a crowd and made the kind of generic come on guys, we gotta do this. We've gotta fight on every front statement that everybody in the history of the country has made when they were rallying for a cause. That is not commensurate right. with someone making a defense of individuals who broke into the Capitol building and and trespassed and literally broke the law and resulted in what people about losing the, what their about lives. The Black lives. That is Matter not the protests. same thing. Same. What about them?
8: What about the what about all of the riots that happened during the what that what,
0: what how what's the connection to AOC's statement in front of the Supreme Court?
8: Well, how I mean, from what you just said, that the somebody saying in a protest, this is what it should be. You know, we, we got to rise up, we got to fight, we got to do these things. Yeah, I think that, I think that we've been very clear. And, and then if something agree with me on out, this,
0: that people shouldn't be held responsible for saying generic platitudes right, about how we should fight right, and win. Right, and right, that goes both right. ways. So are you saying that you you now
8: disagree with that? I'm I asking you. I'm asking you why you think then Republicans should be held accountable like Trump for certain things that were said. I, that I went don't. To January when did I 3rd. say
0: that? I don't think that. Oh, it, that Trump what, should what go to jail like. for the insurrection. I think that, that there's a reason why. Well, he I ha- do think maybe now I agree
1: with I, I think Trump. Look, I people can feel different. I, I think the not criminal certainly. He should have been held accountable through the you know the mechanism of impeachment, which he was. But I, yeah, they, they, they impeachment didn't the work. The things okay. he said right before the people. Actually, did engage in the trespassing at the Capitol. To me, are were were kind of stoking a, a mob mentality. That he, as the president of the United States, right. should have behaved more responsibly. He should be, he should he should he should know better. Right. And than he was to given information. This, he, it's you
0: know, one thing to be literally looking at you know. an event in action. And saying, you know, and not using your your status as the president of the United States to stop it or try to dissuade people, and even saying things that are, might be encouraging to again standing in the middle of a pre- peaceful protest in a in a protest zone, a limited free free yeah. speech zone, surrounded by cops and with snipers angled at you, saying, "Hey, we're going to have to fight for our rights, ladies." I just, I'm sorry, I don't think that that's quite equivalent.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I will disagree to disagree on that one, but oh, sometimes, sometimes we do. <laughs> All right, thank you, Kim. We'll have more rising after this.
8: A panel of FDA advisors are meeting today to consider options for updating COVID vaccines for a fall booster campaign. They will vote on whether the shots should target Omicron or one of its subvariants. And according to Pfizer, the updated version of their vaccines that were adapted to the Omicron variant to deliver higher immune response against the strain, according to the FDA's framework. There was an agreement among the FDA that decisions on vaccine strain composition should be undertaken as a coordinated process led by the FDA and with consideration of any global recommendations that the WHO might provide. Also want to uh, bring up on this is that a lot of people are really up in arms over the meeting today because they're also deciding on whether or not any sort of um, subsequent vaccines that are then updated and modified for various variants, whether or not they need FDA approval each time. So a lot of people are saying, "Oh my gosh, they're they're coming out with these. You know, they're going to let vaccines out that don't have FDA approval." When I read up on it, it is more akin to what happens with the flu shot. The flu shot, I don't think. I haven't done the research on this one. I just kind of looked at this briefly, but I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, the flu shot requires FDA approval each season when they update it for the strain. I think just the basic formula was approved and then they update it um, for each flu strain that comes out. And that's what they want to do also with the COVID vaccine as well without needing
1: FDA approval. My understanding season. with the the flu is that there's two main strains and they alternate what which vaccine they offer each season kind of guessing which one is going to be the better the more dominant strain really? that could be totally wrong <laughs> that's that's what I don't I I thought they changed it
8: I thought they changed it you think it they tweak like it every each, time I, Well you know you know based on the data that they mm-hmm. have yes yeah, so maybe available previous strains and they're kind of like oh this one's kind of similar to that one so maybe I I don't know but maybe you're right maybe they just circled these two over I, mean, and over I would and certainly over not
1: then. I, I, you know, more in a kind of right to try mindset would not necessarily think or want the vaccine makers to have to get uh, permission from the FDA FDA every time they make some change, you know, not wholly new science or anything like that, but just, you know, making some change to the vaccine to deal with the new variant. Because we want, you know, for people who are, again, it should absolutely be your choice. In my mind, whether you get the vaccine, but for people who are choosing to get the vaccine, we do want it to be effective against you know what is out there, or else, or, or else then whatever. If if you think there are da- medical downsides to taking the vaccine, you know if you if you've looked at the data and you're concerned about the downsides, well then at least you you should want the upsides to be there, right? That, that it's they're actually confronting the variants that are available. So I, yeah, I would not, yeah, then- I would not lean toward wanting. Excessive FDA meddling again, totally voluntary to my mind. Whether you take it, but
0: to that point, I mean, there's different kinds of testing. There's testing for efficacy. There's testing for, you know, whether it's dangerous. Safety. There's right. testing to see if it actually addresses the new kinds of variants. And so, it would be difficult for me to imagine that they don't have to test efficacy with new variants if they're prescribing it to be taken to address new waves of COVID, um, even if they might not necessarily have to go through all of the. Whole hoops that were first had, had, you know, had to be jumped through to prove that the thing, other components of the vaccine weren't harmful. So I, it might be that kind of a situation where they can skip. If, if there's no new addition to the vaccine beyond the tweaks to the, um, you know, the, the part that targets the virus to target right. the new strain of the virus, then there might be a decision made to fast track the process on that basis. But it's, it's an interesting thing to think about.
8: Yeah, I mean, I think that sounds reasonable to me. I mean, if you're just tweaking the actual code that targets whatever the virus is and you're not changing the formula and everything else basically stays stays the same, then I would imagine you wouldn't need to jump through those hoops every single time. However, I I mean, I think that there's a a solid argument to be made that maybe they should be considering updating the actual vaccines themselves. First generation anything, you know, like how many of us are still using Internet Explorer or Netscape or something? You know, First generation (laughs) anything is not the best. Um, And usually it's the subsequent, uh, you know, uh, things that come out that end up being better. And so uh, maybe they should be looking at this. But another aspect of this that's really interesting is why did it take so long to update these vaccines? I mean, we're still using the same vaccine from the, the original strain. And the whole point of mRNA, the whole selling point was, when we get the code and we get it sequenced, we can actually whip out a vaccine within 24 to 48 hours. Where did that idea go? I mean, why is it taking so long now to get in the fall? We're going to get an Omicron uh, shot when Omicron's going to, everybody will have had it by then. It's been you know, gone through the population.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it, it could still be Regulatory holdups, even if the approval process is easier, right? There's a lot of uh, crossing of t's and dotting of i's that has to occur. Um, maybe they don't think enough people are gonna are gonna take advantage of new vaccines. They were a little, vac, <laughs> a little saturated in the vaccine rhetoric and what you know what was expected of them. The difference between you know the early. Uh, uh, claims or idea that it was going to you know very much massively stop you from even you're, you're going to be really even immune to getting sick at all which right. didn't pan out um, I, you know I still think we absolutely want to be because you know we're, we're hoping that the disease continues to mutate in a less lethal direction which has been right. its trajectory and so you know fingers crossed that continues and I think there are my understanding is there are, Evolutionary reasons why that would likely be true, but th- this was a once-in-a-century disaster that we don't want to repeat like a second time this century. We we should absolutely be doing whatever the necessary research is to be prepared. It would be great if we were not as debilitated, If this were to happen again, even with a somewhat different disease, it's completely debilitating society as we you know we wait for two years for vaccination. We got to fast track this process so that people who you know, want to take advantage of, of vaccines can. So that's what I, I would say. It, it does seem like the ball is being dropped a little bit here,
8: mm. so. Yeah, it's interesting. And now we're seeing parts of the world like Taiwan, for example, that's been isolated. You know, they hadn't had the virus this entire time during the pandemic and now they just got it. And their wave is larger than any wave we saw here in the United States um, on, a, on a per capita basis. And they're also seeing a lot of deaths in Taiwan as well. And so it's, you know, the world is just getting this. Mm-hmm. Um, and there should be definitely, we know who the most vulnerable people are when they catch this. We do still need to be focusing on treatments, if that's in the form of a vaccine, if that's in the form of pills or whatever that might be. We need to be definitely focusing on that to help keep people safe when they catch this virus, those most vulnerable. But, um, you know, another thing about this that's interesting is just, it, it'll be, it, it, look, they, there's many other vaccines that have been coming out on the market that, again, like I mentioned, second generation stuff is often better. Third generation, even better than that. They're not being let into the United States. We only still have very few options for Americans versus other countries that have many, many, many options. And that, I think, is another point of discussion is that, you know, we've got to rein in on big pharma and their greed. And but Kim, say, isn't that an FDA failure, too? Ones.
1: Uh, That's got to be that's got to be a mix, but that's got to be substantially an FDA failure that we don't have other things approved here because the FDA drags its feet sometimes for decades on approving just in general treatments, products, et cetera, that are widely available elsewhere, even, you know, in Europe, in very close peer countries to ours. Um, I I think I I brought it up a thousand times on the show just because it's such a good example. There's sunblocks that are perfectly legal in your everywhere in Europe. That the FDA has like been waiting decades to approve, uh, and and so many other things like that.
8: You know, it's pay to play, and so you've got to pay in order to get approved. The
0: conversation about who is responsible. There are apparently 344 COVID nineteen vaccine candidates. Of those 31 vaccine products, are already in large scale use after being approved by the WHO. Now, America respects drugs that have been approved by the WHO, by the World Health Organization. So it would seem to be that the reason that we don't have at least access to those 31 vaccines isn't about the FDA in this instance, but about pharmaceutical, Lobbying—we all know what big roles they, they have played in. That Are you whole, saying
1: that if it's a, if something is automatically approved by the WHO, but it's not,
0: it doesn't it's require a, FDA approval according to this, really? this article I'm reading in the New England Journal of Medicine?
8: Well, but. I
0: think I don't
1: know if that's true. I,
8: I think it means like the United States will accept like you can will come into the it. country if you've received like the Vax, you know, from China, for example. But it doesn't. But we don't offer it here. I mean, they certainly could faster. I do think though that big pharma has a lot to do with the lobbying in order to keep their competitors out I mean that these guys have billions and billions of dollars to on the line so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they don't want to give that up I mean it it took forever for Novavax even to get even looked at by Mm -hmm. the FDA and it was being distributed all around the world and then we've and and it's an American vaccine and we finally now are just barely getting it but too little too late most people now are not interested they've already had COVID and they're kind of like whatever Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, we'll be continuing to follow this and we will be having more rising for you right after this
8: President Biden is facing mounting pressure to act on abortion access in the wake of the fall of Roe v. Wade. Democrats like Senator Elizabeth Warren and Patrick Murray are calling on Biden to take executive action. And while the president alone cannot reverse the slew of state bans going into effect after Friday's ruling, Democrats say the urgency of the moment requires taking all available action. On
0: Monday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi outlined three specific proposals that House Democrats are considering in response to the Roe decision, one would codify the 1973 road decision into law. Another would make clear that women are free to travel across the country for any reason, an effort to preempt any attempts by states to prohibit cross-state travel in pursuit of legal abortion services. And a third would protect reproductive health data, such as that stored on apps, from being collected and distributed to third parties. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people discussing the apps already and how people should delete their period apps immediately, especially if they are in a state with a ban. Why is that? The idea being that if you do get pregnant, they know. Uh, And to the the extent that you travel to another state or get an abortion through less than legal means, it's basically informing on
8: yourself. I guess. Or you could just say, I have... Yeah, a medical condition like PCOS or endometriosis or something that throws my period. I mean, it's just, you know, or I stressed out this month. And I mean, there's just so many things that could affect a woman's cycle that I don't know if it's, I mean, that might be a little bit, um, I, I, I mean, look, uh, take every precaution, I suppose, but that might be a little bit like al- alarmist. Well, slightly. especially
1: because, I mean, given the the new abortion policies that will exist in some some states, right? Some states are going to have strict limits. Some states have, you know, a week, uh, a certain week cutoff. Um, so you, it would, right? It would be a shame to punish um, women. Uh, you, you want women to know if they're pregnant, uh, if, if or early enough to still be able to get abortions in states that permit it up to a certain week, right? So then, then like casting aspersions on the, um, the data collector, the apps that let you, that help you track that would be would be a bad thing. Although I, I certainly understand why, you know, why people are saying that, but uh, that uh, well, could and, backfire, right?
8: Sure, because those apps are so helpful for so many of us women that need to track cycles for whatever reasons. I mean, it's a real, you know, it's like saying to somebody, don't track your blood pressure anymore because, oh no, they might, you know, I mean, who knows, right? But it's, this is an important piece of medical data that you need to be tracking that many women do track. And so it would be a shame if that happens. I mean, I don't know clearly what needs to happen though. Look, Democrats needed, they should have done more well beyond this point. This, sh- this wasn't a surprise. The ruling wasn't a surprise, not only because it leaked, but it wasn't a surprise because Republicans have been saying for decades that this was their plan all along. Mm-hmm. So Democrats can't act like they were suddenly blindsided by this, like, oh no, they lied to us this whole time. And now suddenly they undid Roe v. Wade. Republicans have been wanting to do this. So where have Democrats been this entire time? And why aren't they? Do- and now they say they're doing something. But what is that something? They're saying mm-hmm. they're going to you know, codify Roe v. Wade. Um, that would be great. Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about that. A lot of people I've been seeing on the Internet, people saying things like, oh, if they do that, then women will be able to get late term abortion. That's not true. Roe v. Wade doesn't allow that. Roe v. Wade allows Under no, you cannot ban or restrict in any circumstance, first trimester abortions, second trimester, a state can restrict, but they cannot ban. And third trimester abortions, a state has the legal right to ban under Roe v. Wade. Planned Parenthood versus Casey changed that a little bit. Um, But, you know, if they codified Roe v. Wade, I think actually a lot of the country would be on board with that, actually, if they understood it. I think a lot of there's a lot of misconceptions around Mm -hmm. it. But. You know, where, where have these guys been this whole time? And what are they doing? What is their concerted effort to do something now? Well, besides, like, the... delete your app.
1: Yeah, more, on the, right, more on the delete your app uh, talk. Abortion civil rights advocates are putting pressure, in fact, on tech companies to safeguard user data that could be used to prosecute people for miscarriages and pregnancy termination in states with strict abortion laws, which has already been done, including one case in which a woman's online search for abortion pills was brought against her in court. The abortion ruling could also derail in bipartisan data privacy talks on Capitol Hill.
0: In more tech news, AP reports that Facebook and Instagram are suddenly removing posts offering abortion pills to women living in states affected by overturning of Roe. Posts explaining how women could obtain abortion pills in the mail are disappearing from the platform. On Monday, an AP reporter tested how the company would respond to a similar post on Facebook, writing, If you send me your address, I will mail you abortion pills. The post was removed within one minute.
1: Hmm. I wonder if that actually has to do with again. I, I hope the left wakes up to the problem, uh, and and many on the actual left, more in the progressive mainstream kind of circles. I'm talking about uh, the problem of you know ridiculous content moderation on social media that we complain all 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 the time, and and actually the the hard left actually does as well. I, I more mean the kind of you know mainstream liberal uh, class of people. That said. Right. It could be in this case why they take that down. Um, You know, you uh, sort of advertising like a product or a medical product uh, on on uh, on Facebook is going to get you in trouble like nine times out of ten, right?
0: Well, the concern was that uh, people who advertise selling things like guns were not similarly prohibited. So the 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 frustration Mm -hmm. in that article was about the asymmetry there. That seem to be you know, political in nature, to the extent that there's a claim that this is a value-neutral prohibition on, let's say, sending medication or something like that, or sending a dangerous substance or something like that. I mean, there's right. obviously a lot of regulations around—
1: I think with me- I think their medication policies are specific and stronger than just about anything else, um, possibly for liability concern. I mean, it, it, right? you're right, it could just be the different regulatory framework for for guns is why yes, this is— Yes, guns
0: and marijuana were tested, and mm. neither mm. Is kind interesting. of
1: interesting um, mm-hmm. yeah I, just, I mean i just remember from the covid discourse right talking about covid cures and that kind of stuff like you, you had to be that was going to be the most aggressively taken down baby material formula. was yeah no right we've had we've seen examples of that being censored claims right. about uh here's how you make baby formula that kind of thing so they, they do have a they have a like um uh, medication and sort of like consumable like incidental poisoning kind of fear but there
0: is maybe an art you can articulate a difference between someone saying this is a recipe for making baby formula that may or may not be injurious to a child and here's like a package like presumably sealed package of over-the-counter medication that i'm offering for sale the way that i presume you can resale a lot of different kinds of medication in different contexts so i'm sure people will be following that Quite yeah. a bit as it
8: becomes more and more dramatic.
1: That is interesting, though. I, I well, mean, how? Go ahead, Kim. I'm
8: just the, the the irony of this is so. This is kind of we could kind of equate this more to ivermectin and COVID, right? So <laughs> let's be got, careful, <laughs> right? Well, but it, but it's the same sort of idea where you yeah. got on the left a bunch of people that were saying you shouldn't have access to this medication, remove anything online, you know, and there were definitely some restrictions on what you could or could not advertise, um, and, and so it's it's in that similar. It'll, it'll be very similar where you're going to start seeing now people probably on the left actually adopting the playbook of the doctors and the people that supported the use of ivermectin during the pandemic. Um, because what people needed to do if they wanted to have access to it was they'd have to find a provider that was very difficult to do. If you went to your regular doctor, they'd probably say, get out of here, you crazy lunatic. And so you had to find somebody then that and it had to be in a state where it was allowed and then you had to somehow procure it and it was difficult. So it's going to be interesting to see if that same sort of, you know, the mechanisms that were put together for that sort of medication that was, you know, demonized, if that is going to have this, if there's going to be a similar, um, mm. you know, looking towards that. So, you know, when so it, it does kind of, again, call up the hypocrisy. I mean, if people were calling for, you know, this should be totally banned and people should go to jail for it and there were, there were calls for that. Now we're seeing it on the flip side, but in regards to the abortion pill. Yeah,
0: well, well, notably Ivermectin rightfully was never banned. It was never illegal. To take ivermectin, unfortunately, the Supreme Court has decided that it's up to the states whether or not it wants to make women taking these uh, contraceptive, you know, these uh, abortion pills. I
1: don't think there should be any restrictions on illegal after pill. I don't yeah. think there should so be any restrictions. I think it should be available right. over the counter everywhere. That is the policy I support.
0: Hopefully the, the conservatives that I clear. think were rightly concerned about their access to different kinds of drugs will also be consistent here and support women's rights to access these kinds of reproductive right. drugs and, and yeah. it's,
8: a, it's another showcasing of will the hypocrisy you know showcase right. itself in this situation i guess i would hope um, they
1: just realized that criminalizing that would be such a overreach that it would invite well, blowback right i mean th- I, I now we're just talking, we're talking about a narrow number of social pills. What's that? You're talking
8: about two different pills. There's two uh, different pills. Uh,
1: educate so, me. I have no idea. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's the
8: more there's the morning after pill, which is not right. an abortion pill. That one is different. That you take, um, and I don't know the exact science of it, but I believe it prevents the implantation of. Yeah, a- but some
0: conservatives right. argue that that is an abortificant and right, they, they are trying right, to get that they, so right. banned. Yes, yeah, they I've, are. I've but that.
8: then the other pill that we're talking about is actually. Used for abortion services in first trimester. I believe women that are up to eight or nine weeks mm-hmm. pregnant can take a series of pills, and it will uh, basically cause a, a, a miscarriage. Like most women have many, many miscarriages during that time mm. frame naturally. So I believe that's the pill that mm-hmm. they're actually that, that and, is and question. And then you don't
1: need to have a procedure. You just take right, those right. pills up to yes, okay, we're up take... to eleven weeks. They're telling us. In, oh, eleven the weeks. Production okay. Production team. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm? Didn't know that. All right. Well, thank you for this discussion. Uh, Educational for me. Tomorrow on Rising, we'll continue to discuss the major rulings coming out of the Supreme Court, as well as the fall of Roe v. Wade.
0: And Max Alvarez and Denise Long will join us for our Rising panel.
1: Be sure
8: to like, share, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And be sure to download us on podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. And we will see you guys tomorrow. Thanks for watching.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.